Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Good morning. In John chapter 5, verse 19, uh, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, The Son of Man can do nothing but himself of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he does, these does the Son also. For the Father loved the Son and showed him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father has raised up the dead, and quickened them, even so the Son quickens whom he will. The Father judges no man, but he commits all judgment unto the Son. Uh, knowing the Son, of course, gives us access to the judgment pronouncements or the uh, form of requirements that we need in order to be able to face God in the day of judgment. Now, passing judgment and standing before a judge and hearing the verdict come down is a uh, exciting and a sometimes terrifying sense that we have, especially if we feel like we've been in the wrong. Because the uh, passing of judgment also carries with it a penalty if, in fact, we have been in violation of the law, basically. That's the, that's the purpose of judgment. Now, Jesus said in John 12, verse 47, that he came not to judge the world, but to save the world. So Jesus did not come upon this earth in order to evaluate everyone and to appraise everyone. He came to save. Now, that does not mean that there's not going to be a judgment. The text says that he will judge the world. Jesus is the one who's going to pass judgment. So identifying right and wrong attitudes and actions is the basis of how God is going to judge the world and he will judge the world by his son. Now, I would rather have no one but Jesus to judge me as I read about him in the New Testament. If someone were to say, now, you're going to stand before a judge and the judge is going to pass judgment on you and tell you how, you, how you're doing, whether you're doing good or bad, and then he's going to evaluate that, and then he's going to exercise his right to either punish or reward me. Well, the one I want judging me, of course, is Jesus. Now, the scriptures tell us that there will be a judgment. Now, that's, that's a foregone conclusion with anyone who has read the Bible. There will be a judgment. There will be a time 
when everyone will be before the judgment throne of God, and we will be not tested, not tried. We're going to be evaluated. Okay? There'll be a time when we'll be evaluated. Romans chapter 3 at verse 5 and 6 says, If our righteousness commend the right if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say then? Is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? He said, I speak as a man. God forbid, for how then shall God judge the world? Okay. God is going to judge the world. He's not unrighteous. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. Now, according to the scriptures, and we are people who believe in the scriptures, according to the scriptures, God is going to judge us. He's going to judge the whole world. Psalms 96, 13 says, He comes to judge the earth, talking about the Lord. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Now, that's a promise. In Psalms 98, verse 9, it says, Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth with righteousness, shall he judge the world and the people with equity. In other words, it will be a fair judgment. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, at verse 9, Solomon is warning the young man. And he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart. He said, Just live it up what he's telling the young person. And in the sight of your eyes, but know this, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Okay, live it up, but remember, you're going to have to answer for it. Okay. Paul told the people in Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, he said, he has appointed a day, talking about God, he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, wherever he has given us assurance unto all men, in that he has raised him from the dead. So he's going to judge the world. And he said he's going to judge the world by Jesus Christ. Romans 2.16 In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So there's the rule. There's the standard. It's the gospel. And the judge will be Jesus. Now, remember, remember, Jesus said, I didn't come down here to judge the world. That wasn't his purpose when he came to this earth, but he will judge the world. He wasn't doing it then, but he's going to. And God has given him all judgment. Okay, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, Paul told Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He's going to judge. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 5, Who shall give account to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead? That's us. Now from a reasonable and logical, rational conclusion we can make, and that is that it's right that we have to give an account for what we do, and it's only logical that we recognize that there has to be a judgment that evaluates our actions and our behavior and our attitudes. It's only right. It's only standard. If people are not held, if we're not held to a standard of conduct and the, and the promise that there's going to be an accounting, then, of course, chaos would follow in the wake. If we don't have to give an account for what we're doing, just like 
Solomon told the young man, just go live it up. But, and that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, if there is no resurrection, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there's no accounting for what we're doing, do what you want. Don't worry about it. However, it is because of the idea that we have to give an account because the judgment, the concept of a judgment, that we behave ourselves. That we do. If we do not feel like we have to give an account, we're free to do whatever we like. And we can be as mean and as ugly and as ornery as we want to be, or as nice as we want to be. But still, the accounting helps us understand that we must have some sense of responsibility in how we behave. Psalms 36 verse 1 says, The transgression of the wicked says within his own heart that there is no fear of God. And there is no fear of God before his eyes. If there's no fear of God, if there's no judgment coming, we, we just go our own merry way. In Proverbs 16 6 it says, By mercy and truth equity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. Because we believe there's an accounting coming. And it's an accounting that comes because of what we did, not what of our parents did or anybody else did. In Ezekiel 18 and verse 20, it says, The soul that sins it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son, but the soul that sinneth it shall die. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. Now, the fair enactment of justice deters crime. Now, we're just talking about things that we know that are rational. We understand this, that, that uh, judgment in itself will deter us from doing the things that are harmful to ourselves and to other people. We know that. And we know when that is removed that society collapses into chaos. We understand that. The lack of justice, the lack of judgment, brings disrespect and it encourages bad behavior. When there's no anticipation of punishment for bad behavior, for wrongdoing, the bad person has no restraints. You can't, can't keep them from doing harm to themselves and everybody else, their family, to society. The very knowledge that punishment will follow a judgment averts disaster and averts harmful activities. It prohibits against them. We know that. We, we're living in a society that's crumbling. We're living in a society that says we don't have to give an account for our actions. And we're living in a society that's afraid to execute judgment against the evildoer. We understand that. The, and the social, so, the social climate right now says this. Now, I want, I want to mark this for you. You've heard it, and I've heard it. The social climate says, don't judge me. Don't, have you heard that? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. If anything is said that's negative, the accusation is that whoever says anything about bad behavior is judgmental. You're judgmental. If you mention the fact that this is wrong, and you're not doing right. Now that's, that's odd to me. It seems strange to me that this, this sort of concept has come up, and it's come up among religious people mainly. 
we look at it and people are saying, don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me. And if you do, you're judgmental. Well, they're actually judgmental that calling you judgmental. But that, that's beside the point. Let's think about it this way. A civilized society recognizes authority who can pass judgment on our actions. Civilian citizens believe that. We believe that. And, as a matter of fact, laws are enacted and boundaries are established which are agreed upon everyone that are right. Now, that doesn't always mean we know who has the right to give us the laws and set the precedents, but we do know that, that uh, we have agreed among ourselves that it is right that we have some sort of restraint on one another so we can get along in society. And as a matter of fact, and I'm talking to citizens of the United States of America, we're all citizens, we live in a nation of laws. While we're at this stage in our country right now, baffles me. Because this is a nation of laws, just like Rome was a nation of laws. We've patterned ourselves after Rome to a great extent. We are a nation of laws. By that I mean that we, became, we began as a society of laws. We are a democratic republic. That means that Democrat mean, the democratic part of it means that it's all of us, all of us in the democracy, that we all have the same similar rights. And republic means that we, we send forth someone to represent us to the government, as the government, of our rights. So we elect representatives who will represent us in our democracy. Now, we have established and adopted a code of conduct that we call a constitution. Right? I'm just, we're just talking about things that we know, that we're familiar with. And that constitution has called for three branches of government. Government. And one branch is the legislative, which means this is the one that makes the laws. What I'm saying is, friends, we have made our own laws. We're a democracy. We're not a monarchy. We're not, we're not under a Plutarch or a monarch. We're not under some sort of a tyrant. We're, we're under each other. We have made our own laws. We've made our own laws because we're a democracy. So we have a legislative branch that makes those laws for us by our representatives. They make the laws, but we're making those laws. And then we have a judicial branch that interprets those laws and tells us what they mean. So if there's ever a question about what a law means, we take it to a superior court, or we take it to the judicial court, the nine justices now that we have elected, and they tell us whether these laws are right or wrong or whether they're being applied right or wrong. We're still, we're talking about laws. We are a nation of law keepers. We're giving ourselves laws and then we're making provision that these laws are enforced and upheld. And then the last branch, of course, is the executive branch. That's the one that carries it out. And basically, that's uh, the uh, attorney general, for instance. He's the top top guy in this, or top woman, whatever it might be. And then we have our police force and so forth. These, these execute the laws. So we make the laws. We tell what the laws mean. We decide what the laws mean. Then we carry them out. Okay. A simple process as citizens is that we accept our Constitution 
and our rule of law. By doing so, we agree to be judged. Ah, that's what I was getting at. Don't judge me. What do you mean don't judge me? You're making laws to judge your fellow man. What do you mean don't judge you? You're judging everybody else. We're judging each other. You see what I'm saying? You see why I said this? Why I went through this long thing? Because when we talk about don't being judged, we're talking about we're condemning ourselves. Sure, we're judging. I can, I can see if a guy goes out here and kills someone, I can say, that's a killer. Don't judge me. Don't be judgmental about this, Bill. Why? That's silly, isn't it? That's foolish. That's foolish. I can recognize that. We agree to be judged by our own laws, and as Christians, we know our duties before God and before the law. So we recognize that. Now let's get back to what, where, where we are as Christians. Romans 13 at verse 1 tells us, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. The higher powers are us in this country. We're the higher power. We made the laws. Now let's keep them. You get it? You get it? We made our own laws. Now let's keep them. We're the law, we're the law or unto ourselves basically because we've said these are the laws we like. Now some of the laws that we have, some of us don't like them. Some of us, we don't like some of the laws. And so the only, the only recourse we have is to make sure that we send our representatives so we can modify those laws and get them where they, they're, they're beneficial to everybody. Titus 3 at verse 1, Paul told Titus, he said, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready unto every good work. We recognize the need for law and the validity of the law itself. We recognize that. Now, Paul also told Timothy this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, we know that the law is good. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about the law of God. But he's saying, we know law is good. It is, isn't it? Law is good. It's the lawbreaker that doesn't like the law. Well, I should have mentioned this very, very first. We are a nation of laws, so much so that being a lawyer is one of the largest professions in our country. Lawyers make one of, make one of, one of the biggest professions that this country knows. We like law. We like the law because we feel like we can get justice before the law. If something happens to us, we can go to the law and, and, and find recourse or satisfaction. And so we have lawyers. They had lawyers then. Pharisees, lawyers, Sadducees, so forth. There were law, lawyers then telling everybody what the law meant. So now then we have lawyers telling us today how to go, what the law says, and how we can comply with it, or what it does to us, or what it doesn't do for us. But Paul said, we know the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Okay. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. It's just obvious and ordinary. You understand right from wrong. And if we don't understand it, we appeal to who does understand it. We appeal to God. Now, I haven't mentioned this to this point, but 
we have to recognize a standard that's above us. Now, I've said that in our society, democratic republic, that we've made our own laws. We have. And sometimes we get satisfied that we, we know what we're doing and we've got it right. But there is a higher standard. Where did that law come from? Now, Paul set forth to Timothy. He knew where it came from. It came from God. So the higher standard we have to apply ourselves to, we have to look to, is not ourselves. I can say, well, I, I can puff up and say, hey, I know the law and I know, I know all about it and we've made our laws and we've made our laws to, to uh, make sure that we conduct ourselves right among ourselves, but there's someone who knows more about the law than I do and that is Jesus Christ. That is his Father. They have the law and they have the principles. Now, this country started out with those principles and we're getting away from them, but still we have to recognize that there's a higher higher governance for us than ourselves. Our codes, our morals, and our judgments have to be submitted to God. He's the one who made the standard. We're content to rule ourselves, to apply our standards, and judge each other by their standards, but there's a higher standard and someone above ourselves that we have to recognize as the true judge of all, one whose laws have proven to be most beneficial to the world to humanity. That's Jesus, of course. And that's the law that we're going to have to answer to. Okay. When I stand before the judgment seat of God, I'm not going to have to answer to the judicial court of the state of Washington. They have nothing to do with me at that point. That's not my standard. I don't have to stand before the, the Supreme Court and give, give a defense of myself for the laws that we have made to ourselves. I have to stand before the judge of all and give an account for the laws that he set forth. Okay. We often wonder whether or not we can exercise judgment about our fellow man. Can I actually look at my fellow man and recognize whether or not they are complying with the law? Can I recognize a thief? Can I? Can I give an opinion? This guy's a thief. He stole. So he, and I, I can see that he stole something. I can watch him. Can I say that he's a thief? Is that, is that my prerogative? Well, sure I can. Unless I'm brain dead, I can see it. Someone murders someone, I observe it, or I know it, or have all the evidence before me. I can say, yeah, they, that guy's a murderer. I can see that. I can, I can see that I, I can recognize a child molester, for instance. I can recognize any sort of crime. I've got the sense enough to see that, and I can pass a judgment of my own, an opinion, if you will, and I can, I can have a perception of some of the wrong. So why can't I have a perception of what's right and wrong before God? Because he's given me the law, and I can read the law in the book. I can't make one myself. But I can read his law and I can see. Now, I can't judge someone according to appearance. I can't look at you and say, um, I think you're a thief. With no evidence, I don't know. No, I can't do that. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. John seven twenty four. I can't look at you and say, oh, I, I think if you had the chance, you'd probably tell a lie. That's not my business. I can't do that. But I can judge if you lie, and I hear you lie, 
and I know you've lied, I can say, you're a liar. I probably shouldn't. Just, just for common decency, I probably should keep it myself, but still, I can reach that conclusion. I can, I can have that opinion. Now, I can't judge anybody by my own standard, though. I can't do that. I can't say, well, you're not doing what I think you ought to be doing because of the standard I've set for myself. Let's read a text in Luke chapter 6. This is the one that really gets everybody. This gets everybody from saying, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. You're judgmental. You're judgmental if you say that this is right and that's wrong in the scripture. You're judgmental. But let's see what it says. In Luke chapter 6, verse 37 through 42, judge not, you'll not be judged. Now, he's not saying don't, read, don't have an opinion. He's not saying don't reach a conclusion. He's not saying don't, don't look at the evidence and see that it's right or wrong. He's not saying that. He's not saying you can't see someone who's obviously doing something wrong and, and say that's, that's right or that's wrong. What he's saying is don't compare them with yourself. Now, look here. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. So he's saying don't compare yourself with other people. Okay? Don't say I'm better than you. I don't know anywhere in the Bible where it says you can't say I'm worse than you. Not many people say that. He says, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give in your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it will be measured to you again. He spoke a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Obviously. If I'm a thief, I can't help other thieves. Do right. And they both will fall in the ditch if the blind lead the blind. The disciple is not above his master. Everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why behold the mote that is in your brother's eye? Okay, here's the one. Why look at your brother and say, I can take that splinter out of your eye? But perceive not the beam that is in your own eye. So you've got a big piece of wood in your eye and you can't see clearly to get the splinter out. But let's follow it to the end. Either how can you say to your brother, let me pull out the moat that's in your eye, will you the, yourself behold not the moat, the, the, the beam that's in your own eye? Hypocrite, he said, cast out first the beam from your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to take the moat out. He didn't say don't take the splinter out. He said get, get your eyesight clear before you do it. You can't help someone else if you're in the same mess they're in. You can't save someone from a quicksand if you're right beside them in the quicksand. That's the point. But I can warn you not to get in the quicksand if I'm not in it. I can warn you. I can say, hey, this, this is dangerous stuff. Okay. We can judge actions by God's standards. Well, not by our standards, but we can judge actions by His standards. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe unto them to call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So we can, we can see right from wrong and we, we, we can identify it. He said, now, don't, make, don't confuse them so we can make sure that we know what's right and what's wrong and we do that by reading the Word of God. And then we can also discern who is and who is not following the will of God. Now that's where this judgmental stuff comes in. People say, don't be judgmental. Don't tell me that I'm wrong in what I'm doing religiously. Right? You've heard that. You're judgmental if you say, well, we believe that what, what you must do in order to be saved is be baptized into Jesus Christ. You're judgmental. Everybody that, everybody that disagrees with you, 
You see, you, you're just judgmental about it. Well, I'm not judgmental. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. I have to go back to the standard, okay? And because I can do that, God gives me the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. Okay? Can I tell you that? Well, the Bible says we're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort the long-suffering and doctrine. So we can. We just have to be careful that we don't insult a person's integrity, but still. And we can also identify people who are not following the will of God. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 and 15. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What communion does light have with darkness? And what concord does Christ have with Belial? Or what part has he that believes with an infidel? If you can't recognize someone that's in the wrong, you cannot avoid their company. You follow what, what the text is saying? When I told my kids, be sure to choose your companions well, I was telling them to make a judgment. If those kids are not the children, other kids you want to associate with, if their behavior is bad, recognize that and stay away from that because it will lead you astray. Now, I judged, and our kids judged, and we all do the same thing. We all recognize that there's bad company we can keep. And if we recognize there's bad company we can keep, then that means we can recognize who is right and who is doing wrong. Okay? The, the point is, I cannot evaluate them. In other words, I can't, I can't uh, place them before judgment and tell them whether they're going to go to hell or go to heaven. I can't do that. Because that's, that's not my choice. That's not my right. When the time comes, when we get ready to stand before the God of all humanity, and we're all gathered there, and the judgment is going to be pronounced, and God is going to weigh us. Now, here's what happened to Daniel. Daniel was in Babylon as a captive with his people. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the whole world. And he, he gave a big feast. And during his feast, he saw some handwriting on the wall. Have you ever heard that expression? The handwriting is on the wall. Well, here's what the handwriting said. It says, many, many, take a loop salon. And Nebuchadnezzar says, What's, what does that mean? And so he got all of his advisors together and said, what, 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 what was that all about? And they couldn't tell him. They said, but there's a guy here who can because he's in, in companion, he's a companion with the gods, with the spirits of, of the gods. And that was Daniel they were talking about. So Daniel came and told him. He said, here's what, here's what it says, Nebuchadnezzar. He said, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You don't weigh enough. You're going to be destroyed. Now that's what's going to happen to the Day of Judgment. There's going to be a balancing. There's going to be a weighing in the balance. And when we stand before the God in the Day of Judgment, are we going to be weighed? You know, the beautiful thing about it is that that's what's going to happen to all humanity. The judgment's coming. Those who have done good or those who have done evil. Those who have done good on the right side, those who have done evil on the left, some will go, come into eternity with God in heaven. Others will be lost. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. 
But when you stand there as a Christian, you have a lawyer on your side, and he's going to he's going to make a pronouncement to the father, and he's going to say, "This one's okay. We don't even need to consider them. You're not going to be judged because you've already been your penalty for what you've done in this world has already been paid. You're free. He's our advocate." So yes, there's going to be a judgment, but what a great day it's going to be for the Christian, for the believer, who will stand there and Jesus will be there. He'll be the judge. He'll be the advocate. He'll be the, he'll be the one who stands and, and says, he's the one, she's the one. They're all right. They're fine. God help you in your life to just stay with Jesus. Don't get away. Don't take a step away from him. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.